Today we're continuing our series that we began a few weeks ago called Change My Heart. And I want to talk to you about shortcuts. Shortcuts can be a really great thing. Um, maybe it's deciding to stop by a restaurant and pick up some dinner rather than cooking at home. Or it's finding a new route to the destination that you were trying to go to. Um, we love shortcuts. Uh, when Gina and I were first married, I decided that I would do a little help around the house. And I decided to wash Gina's white lingerie with some new red towels that had been given to us for our wedding. And then I threw in a couple of pairs of white briefs and what came out was pink. And so the whole first year of our marriage, Gina and I had, you know, we matched and it was really cute, kind of newlywed kind of stuff. Um, I, th I thought it was cuter than she did. She didn't really like that, you know, too much. But sometimes shortcuts don't work out so well. Um, there's a new shortcuts app though that you can get. You can work with Siri and you can do multiple things at once. You can set it up where you can say one word to Siri and it will do three things instantaneously for you. So for example, um, in the morning commute, you could, you could give the, the one word command and it would give you the best directions to your destination. It will order a Starbucks for you. Um, instantly that you can pick up on your way home and it will play your favorite tunes while you're traveling. All with one spoken word. It's pretty amazing. The Shortcuts app will allow you to send your ETA to a loved one. It will allow you to download pictures off of your favorite websites and more than 300 different functions all with one command, one word. Shortcuts are pretty awesome. We love shortcuts. Shortcuts can be great, but when it comes to our spiritual life, shortcuts can get us in trouble. And I want us to look today at Genesis chapter 27, a powerful story of a family that tried to take some shortcuts and where those shortcuts led them to go. Um, Matthew 7:13 says this, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with a surefire, easygoing formula for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for all that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. The message paraphrase says, in Genesis 27, we see a story of two brothers. Their, their names are Esau and Jacob. Esau is the oldest boy. We talked about him a few weeks ago. Esau um, is, is the first of the twins to be born. Um, his name uh, means red, and he was a red, hairy baby. I mean, he was a pretty ugly baby. I mean, you could say Esau. That's why he was named what he was named. He was like a little Chewbacca baby that came out. And his whole life, he was like a really hairy dude. This was like a foreshadowing of the, the life of Esau. Esau grows up, he's a man's man. He loves shopping at the Bass Pro Shop. He loves wild game. He loves to eat wild boar legs. He loves to eat squirrel, rabbit, venison, elk, all kinds of wild game. He's a man's man. He's a dude's dude. He's Esau. Lots of testosterone in this man. His little brother, though, um, the second of the twins, is named Jacob. Jacob is the complete opposite. You know, sometimes you have twins and they're the same. Sometimes you have twins and they're like, whoa, how are you guys even from the same family? That, that was the case with Jacob and Esau. Jacob loved to hang out around the tents. He was kind of a mama's boy. Um, Isaac, the father, loved Esau. 
Uh, Jacob was loved by his mother, Rebecca. He was a great cooker. Uh, he, 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 could, he could whip up a, a, you know, a dinner around the house. He could clean. He loved the home and garden network. He loved to shop at Kirkland's. He bought his clothes at Express for Men. I mean, he was the total opposite of his brother. And in Genesis 27, the blessing is about to be given. In Hebrew culture, a father would give the blessing generally to the oldest, the oldest son. And this was the father's way of imparting the spiritual leadership of the family over to his firstborn. So upon Isaac's death, Esau would take ownership. He would take spiritual authority over the family. And it was transferred with a blessing. The blessing was generally something that was done publicly. It was something that was done before lots of people. It was a big deal. But to really set the stage for Genesis 27, we have to go back to Genesis 25, where Jacob steals the birthright of Esau. Now in chapter 27, we're talking about the blessing, the spiritual leadership of the family. In chapter 25, it's the birthright, which is two-thirds of the inheritance that went to the oldest son. So Esau is very hungry. He's famished. He's been out hunting. And he comes back to the tent and he says, Jacob... I'm starving. And Jacob says, I'll tell you what, I got a deal for you today. Give me the birthright and I will give you a bowl of stew. And Esau's like, done deal. I mean, you know, what's two thirds of the inheritance for a little dinner? You, you got it, man. Now Esau was not keen on intelligence, okay? Esau kind of reminds me of that linebacker in high school that had been hit in the head one too many times, okay? Not real high on the IQ scale. Not very smart. Jacob was a schemer. J Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a lot more intelligent. Um, Jacob worked that to his advantage, but Esau was, let's be honest, he, he wasn't very smart. Okay, But in chapter 27, the blessing is about to be transferred. The birthright has already been given away. The blessing is to be transferred. Rebecca, the wife, the mother, hears. Isaac's about to bless Esau. I like Jacob better. I don't want Esau to get, to get the blessing. Jacob, come here. Come here, come here, come here, quick, 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 quick. Listen, we're going to dress you up in some animal skins. We're going to feed your dad his favorite wild game. And he's going to give you the blessing because you're going to tell him that you're Esau. So he dressed up. It was like Halloween, you know. Jacob is this very... You know, he has no hair and he's now puts on these animal skins and his father has this great line in the story, Genesis 27. He says, you have the feel of and the smell of Esau as he's touching the, the, the skins of the animals. He says, but you have the voice of Jacob, you know, I just imagine Jacob has a very high little voice. Father, I'm Esau. And so even though Isaac is a senile old man, even though he's easily confused, he kind of senses something's not right, but all of a sudden Jacob is able to lower his voice. I am the son Esau, father, you know, and, and he receives the blessing. Well, when Esau gets back, he's expecting the blessing. He's been out hunting in the field. He's 
going to hook his dad up with a, with a great meal. And his father tells him, well, who did, who did I bless? And they put two and two together and they figure out that Jacob has stolen the blessing. Esau vows to kill his brother and Jacob runs off to hide in a place called Padan Aram. I love Genesis 25 verse 34 because it says, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate and drank and went about his business, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. Again, that kind of speaks to the IQ of Esau. But I want us to look at two shortcuts, two shortcuts that we can all take or two ways we can avoid spiritual shortcuts in our life. Now, you know, shortcuts can be great when it comes to getting tasks done and and managing certain family responsibilities, but you can't build your spiritual life on shortcuts. You can't build a marriage on shortcuts. Uh, you, you can't build a career on shortcuts. There's a lot of things that cannot be done if we're always taking the path of least resistance. God has a different plan for us. And we can overcome shortcuts, first of all, by persevering patience. Persevering patience. Godly ends do not justify wrong means. Now, um, earlier in at the birth of these two twins, um, God had told Rebecca, mama, and I'm sure she told Isaac, that the younger would serve the older. In other words, Jacob is going to be, Jacob is going to be the son of promise. Jacob, not Esau. Esau's the oldest, but the blessing's not going to come through Esau. God, God already said that. God had already picked Jacob. Why did God pick Jacob over Esau? I'm not sure, but, but he had. Um, when we read the story of Esau, it's pretty obvious Esau's not a believer. Um, Jacob is a believer. Uh, Jacob is not a perfect guy. He's a, he's a troubled guy. And I think that we tend to identify more with Jacob than we do Abraham and Isaac because Jacob is so jaded. And we're going to see that over the coming weeks a little bit more about, about this character, Jacob. But Jacob did, he was a believer. He, he was just kind of a jacked up believer at times until God kind of got some things straightened out in, in his life. But patience is a huge thing. Sometimes we think, well, if I get to the end, life is about the destination, not about the journey. And the methods don't matter. So if God foretold that Jacob was to be the child of blessing, does it really matter that Jacob ripped off his brother and lied to his father? And the answer is yes. The journey matters as much as the destination. We think, well, the ends kind of justifies the means. If I get to where I'm supposed to be going, then how I got there is less relevant And not as important. But nothing could be further from the truth. God wants us to have a persevering patience. And although Jacob got the blessing he wanted, it cost him dearly. He never saw his mother again. His brother wanted to kill him. He was deceived later on by his uncle Laban that he goes to live with uh, as a fugitive. His family becomes torn by strife. 
Esau becomes the founder of an enemy nation, and he was exiled for, from his family for many years. You know, there was a huge cost to pay for this manipulation of the circumstances. Could Jacob have just been more patient? God was already going to give the blessing to Jacob. Jacob didn't have to go in and mess with it and tweak it all himself. Um, we, we see this same theme echoed in the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham is the father of Isaac, the granddad of Jacob and Esau. Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham has this promise from God. He's going to be the father of a great nation. We know that nation today is the Jewish nation, the state of Israel. And they have one problem, though. They can't have any children. And so it's kind of like, okay, God, we have this promise, but we have a problem. Sometimes there's always a problem before the promise. <laughs> and so one day, Abraham's wife gets the great idea, hey, take my handmaiden, have a relationship here with my servant, and we'll create an heir through her. Huge mistake, huge problem. Abraham gives birth to a son through Hagar, the, the servant. His name's Ishmael. He becomes the, the, the forefather of the, the, the Arab peoples. And the Jewish and the Arab peoples have fought for thousands of years. And it all began with a shortcut. If Abraham could have just waited, if he and Sarah could have just waited for the plan of God, I know he was 100 years old when he finally had Isaac, the son. And that's pretty old. <laughs> that's real old. Yes. I mean, his wife was 90. I mean, come on, man. But you know, sometimes God will push us to the brink so that the only thing that we can do is say, that was God. If a hundred-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have a baby, you have to say, that was the Lord. Amen? <laughs> Nobody can take any credit for that. Nobody can brag about that. And that's what God was taking them. That's what God, but we got to be patient. See, we, we, we are so eager to get to the destination, we forget about the journey. God wants you to go on a journey with him. We're on a journey. God, God, God sent Abraham on a journey. Abraham, go to the land of promise. Okay, Lord, where is it? Well, I want you to pack your bags. I want you to gather your family and your belongings, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Okay, Lord. And every day, Abraham would get up and God would direct him. You're going to go here today. The next day. All right, Lord, where are we going today? And God would direct him. And Abraham learned a daily dependence upon God. I mean, you've got to really rely on the Lord. If, you, if, you, if you're on a journey and you have no idea where you're going. And no wonder we call Abraham the father of faith. Because of all that he went through. There, there was a patience though. There was, a, there was an enduring circumstance. There was a journey that he had to go on to get to where he was to be. And when we try to speed up the journey, when we try to push the fast forward button, when we try to tweak it with our own schemes and will and desires, everything gets messed up, creates a huge problem for us. And in, in 1970, a psychologist named Walter Mitchell launched a classic experiment. 
he left a, a group of four-year-olds in an individual room, in these rooms, with a marshmallow. And he told the four-year-olds, you can eat the marshmallow whenever you want to. All you have to do is ring the bell. I will come back in and you can eat the marshmallow. However, if you can wait till I come back in, whenever that is, sometime in the future, you get to have two marshmallows. And they did all the research and they studied all these kids and some of the kids on the video are like covering their eyes and some of them are shaking their leg and like, you know, they're kind of like going into convulsions because they want to eat the marshmallow so badly and they can't do it and they're so torn and all that. It's really interesting. They, they did the research on these kids, though, over like a lifetime. And here's what they discovered. The kids that had the most self-control with the marshmallow, this is four years old, the one that were the most patient. They were the ones, they made better grades in school, they got better jobs, they, were, they entered into better universities, they were less likely to be on drugs, um, they had more successful families and lives, and they traced it back to this ability to be patient. Is it any coincidence that patience is a virtue in the Christian experience? If you want God to bless you, if you really want God to bless your life, you have to be a person who is patient. Who's patient? It's hard to be patient. Very hard to be patient. Um, we're sitting today in a building that is a result of patience. Uh, many of you know we started Edge Church in 2009 in our living room. Gina and I did. We had uh, five people our first Sunday. I like to brag about that. I was totally depressed. Gina and I were two of the five, by the way. Yeah, big turnout. And um, we started meeting in a school uh, thereafter, and um, the church continued to grow, and then we uh, met in a, a, a larger school. And the church had gotten to capacity. We were in three services at the middle school. We had services with a 15-minute turnaround. I mean, it was like slam and jam, you know? And we had to have our own space. And uh, we started on this journey, you know, to, to find a spot. Um, a pastor in Parker contacted me. Ryan, we think that our church may want to give you our building. And uh, we were like, hallelujah, amen. I mean, you know, a free building, that sounds awesome. And we prayed about it. We worked together. I went over and preached at the other church one Sunday. And at the last second, the church decided to not do it. And our church was all geared up. We were going to have our own building. We were going to be, you know, like a four-year-old church and have our own facility and all that. And uh, things fell through with that. And I know that I probably could have forced, I probably could have pushed a little harder and got that building, just to be honest with you. But we didn't do it. So we're praying, God, we need a facility. What are we going to do? You know, you're just devastated. You get your heart set on something and... You know, we know how expensive it is to have a building, and we're still a relatively small church, and like, what are we going to do? And so there's a space over at the Southlands Mall that comes available, and um, we get a contract on a building over there. It's 20,000 square feet. Um, we're like ready to go. We've announced it to the church. The architects have redesigned the inside of the building um, it's, it's going to be this great place. I mean, you know, you can go to the movies right after church and you can eat and it's going to be awesome. I mean, you know, it's going to be great. 
And right after we get the agreement signed, the shopping center sells to another owner and they decide that they don't want a church there and they have the right to do that. So now we've spent a lot of time and money and energy and the church is all amped up. We're going to have this building and we have the, the drawings and the diagrams at church and all this stuff. And we have to get up and announce, you know what, this is the second time the deal fell through. And then all of a sudden, guess what? This building becomes available. And a long story short, we get this building, which is more than twice the size of the building at the shopping center, with no renovation costs. We moved in in 30 days, and we have a six and a half acre campus as a five year old church. Pretty amazing. It's wise to wait. Sometimes you just have to let God work his thing and his schedule is never our schedule. But sometimes we just have to be patient to give God some time to do what God does. And if we will not jump the gun and try to get ahead of God, God will pour out his greatest blessings in our lives. I, I talk to single people sometimes who are like, I want to get married. I'm dying. I have to get married. Please. You know, sometimes there's a temptation to lower our standards. We know this is God's standard. Nobody's asking me out, though, you know? <laughs> what if I move the standard to here and I found somebody? Wow. It just never works out well. Single people, hold the bar high, man. Love the Lord. Follow God. Let God intervene. Let your love story be a God story. Be patient, man. Let God, do, let God do what he did in the life of Abraham and Sarah when they had Isaac. Let people say, you know what, that was God. That was the Lord. We're getting through this pandemic. You know, trying to. It's been, this has been a hard journey. I know this has been hard for many of you individually. It's been hard for our church. Been tough. Our, our attendance, our giving, everything was, was moving up January, February. We're like, 2020 is our year. I'm, I'm thinking this. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. All of a sudden in March, it's like you can't meet. Wow. I'm going to talk about a setback. It wasn't the plan, God. What's going on? But we've been patient. The church has stayed strong. It wasn't really the way that I thought 2020 was going to go. But the Lord, the Lord has been with us. People have continued to give their lives to Christ every week at Edge Church. Hey, we're doing okay. I'm ready to get back on the road and get back to the destination that I think God has for us. But, you know... There's some things I can control and sometimes I can't. Sometimes we just have to back off and say, God, this one belongs to you, Lord. Persevering patience. Let's don't get in the habit of trying to push the fast forward button and miss God's greatest blessings in our lives. But there's also a second thing because really to have persevering patience, we have to have total trust. We have to have total trust. 
Now, this was a godly family, okay? Um, in the Bible, it talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. Okay, so these, these are people of faith. And guess what? They still struggled to trust God. <laughs> Did you know you can really love the Lord and at the same time have this, this, this doubt and this uncertainty and this unbelief? That's real life stuff. So these are people of faith, and yet they're filled with doubt. I love the Bible because the Bible just tells it the way it is. There's no sugarcoating it. The Bible never takes biblical characters and, and just tells you the good and leaves out the bad. No, this is the real stuff. This is the dirty, dirty right here. Jacob is trying to steal from his brother. He's a liar. His mom's a schemer. Jacob uh, has a crazy brother Esau that's trying to kill him. I mean, this is real. You thought your family was dysfunctional. Okay, read the Bible. <laughs> read Genesis 27. You're going to feel so much better about your parents and your siblings. You're going to be like, man, we got it easy. But trusting in God doesn't mean that you believe everything will go the way that you want it to. Trusting God doesn't mean that God will explain to you everything that's going on in your life. That's not what trusting God is. Trusting God is simply believing that he loves you and he has the power and desire to help you. Now, you got three choices. You can, number one, trust in God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who knew you and formed you in your mother's womb. He had already named you even before you were born. He um, spoke the universe into existence. You can trust him or you can trust in fate. I mean, a lot of people, they're conf they have more confidence in fate than they do in God. Maybe you saw that old movie, Serendipity. Did you see it with Kate Beckinsale and John Cusack? They meet and then they go their own directions and then it's serendipitous. They get back together and they fall in love. It's all, people love fate when it goes their direction, right? <laughs> you know? It was fate. I want to tell you something today. Your confidence in the Lord is 10 times more powerful than fate. Where does fate take you? Fate doesn't love you. Fate didn't create you. Fate has no promises to you. What is fate? Fate is a bunch of garbage. We can trust in ourselves. We can trust God. We can trust fate. We can trust ourselves. And isn't it amazing how we think that we really have the answers? I mean, you know, there's been some times in my life I'm like, dang, I am really smart. I'm like, Real impressed with myself, you know? I'm like, Ryan, that was amazing. Maybe you felt that way before. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord and don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Don't, don't trust in yourself. Now, while I think I'm a creative guy and I'm, you know, I like who I am and all, but I know this, I have shortcomings. I forget things. I sin sometimes. 
I'm short-sighted. I make mistakes. I don't see things the way that they should be. Some, I need God. God is so much more capable than self. Here's a great spiritual principle. We need to learn to trust God more than our own intuitions. We need to trust God more than our preferences. We need to trust God more than our traditions. We need to trust God more than our comfort zones. We need God. And Isaac's family began to kind of put the pieces together and they're like, man, this is a mess. We need God. God promises to always be by our side and God always knows the answer. And that's why we trust in him. In verse 36 and 37, um, this, the story says, so he said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice. He took my birthright and look, now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered, Esau, look, I have made him the master over you. I've given, I've given him all of his relatives as his servants and have sustained him with the grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Wow. Isaac, in this instance, recognizes that he's made a bad mistake. He understands that Jacob ripped him off and lied to him, and he's not happy about that. But you know what? Here's what's beautiful about Isaac. Isaac realizes that the plan and purpose of God was for Jacob to get the blessing and the birthright, and he backs off. And Esau says, Dad, can you bless me too? Well, in the ancient world, when you gave a blessing, it was like a binding contract. You know, when you sign a contract, you can't go back and say, you know, by the way, take my signature off of those papers. I mean, you know, have you ever bought a house before? They basically have you sign like 90 pages of documents and you're like, you're wearing me out, you know? So this is, this is a binding agreement. But I think even beyond that, Isaac realized that God in a weird way was really the one in control. And Isaac's like, you know what? I'm not going to mess with the plans and purposes of God. And he repents. And he says, you know what, God? I was trying to force my will. I was trying to force my way to, to pass on the, the blessing to, to Esau. But, but God, it was always in your plan to give it to Jacob. And so he tells Esau, Esau, I can't do it. Now, I love Isaac. Isaac is... A man that is bent on doing his own thing. He's rebelling against God by trying to give the blessing to Esau because he knows that's not right. God's already spoken to him about it. But I love the fact that when he realizes that his hand has been caught in the cookie jar, he backs off and he says, Lord, do what you got to do. Isn't that great? That's a great model for us. I, you're not perfect. But when you make a mistake, can you back up and say, all right, Lord, that wasn't the right thing. Let me get out of the way and let, let you take it from here, Lord. Um, Isaac wants to do so in secrecy. He wants to pass on the blessing in secrecy, which is an, always a sign that we're um, doing something sinful when we don't want anybody else to know about it. 
And in verse 23, um, the Lord said to her, um, this is the prophecy, chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So this is the prophecy that they get um, when the boys are born. And Isaac knows this. But Isaac decides to do his own thing. But he remembers, he learns that God is trustworthy. God's trustworthy. Um, You can't stop the ultimate purposes of God in your life. So why do we keep fighting against it? We got to just back off and say, Lord, have your will, Lord. Now, Isaac wasn't the only guy that was rebelling in this story. Rebecca was too, the mom. The mom was a schemer. She was a manipulator. She overheard Isaac telling Esau, go get me some food. I'm going to give you the blessing. She's like, whoa. You know, she was one of those helicopter moms that her ears are always like, always listening to what the kids are saying. You know, she's like, my crazy husband is going to go squander the blessing. Jacob, come here. Jacob, go put those clothes on. Go tell your dad you're Esau. Here's some food. Go get the blessing. I mean, mom, it was mom's idea. Jacob's like, mom, I can't do that. And she kind of talks him into it. So she's scheming. She's manipulating. And she's trusting in herself as much as Isaac is. Um, We don't have to tweak the plans of God. God's plans are sufficient in and of themselves. We don't have to come in and modify them. Sometimes we're like, you know, here's the plan of God, but I want to you know, shape this that way, and I want to come in over here and kind of reform that. Okay, now it, now that looks good, Lord. That's, that's Rebecca. That's Rebecca. Well, what about Jacob? Jacob is the liar. He lied multiple times to his father. He lied about obeying his father's wishes. He lied about killing the wild game. His father says, hey, that was kind of quick. How did you find the wild game that quick? And, he's, and he like blames it on the Lord, you know, like, oh, the Lord provided, you know. Instead of, you know, mom had some rabbit in her back pocket, it's like, you know, the Lord provided. Sometimes we get real spiritual, don't we? Like when we want to cover up things like the Lord, you know, like, whoa, okay, yes, the Lord, yes. So he gets real spiritual, but he's lying. When you trust God, you can always tell the truth, okay? Are you willing Are you willing to tell the truth and to trust God with the consequences? Or do you feel like you have to kind of kind of like shade the truth a little bit and kind of work an angle because you don't really trust the purposes of God? Esau is blaming. He blames his brother in verse 36. He says, He deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now my blessing. Now, Esau got ripped off on the second one, on the blessing, but the birthright, that was just a dumb decision. That was stupidity, what that was. So we should not blame other people for our mistakes. We should own it, take responsibility for it, and do what God's called us to do. Now, how are some ways that we can learn to trust God more? Because we don't want to be like this family, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau. How can we do it? Number one, we ought to ask God for help. I mean, you know, if you really want to learn to trust God, And to not just take the shortcut, not just take the easy way. We ought to ask God for some help 
And we also ought to check God's record. Because the last time that I checked God's record, God bats a thousand on the things that he says he's going to do. You just look at the record of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, all the way through the pages of Scripture. You're like, all right, Lord, you got this. When I totally trust the Lord, I don't have to stress about the future. I don't have to lie, steal, or cheat. I don't have to feel alone because God is the one who is always with me. This week, when you're tempted to take the shortcut, remember You can respond by persevering patience and by total trust in God. And when you do that, you put yourself in the place where God can richly bless your life. Would you pray with me for a moment?